Hello and welcome to the very first Crop It Like It's Hot podcast brought to you by Arable Farming Magazine and The Crop Tech Show. I'm Alice Dyer, your host, and I'm going to be speaking to two experts today on the topic of no-till agriculture. Now this seems to be a topic that's heavily debated at times, or on social media at least. Um, Many people argue that the UK climate or soils aren't particularly suited to the system, but with farm support expected to take a much greater focus on soil health over the next decade, while none of us really knows what this means at this stage, a no-till system could certainly be a part of that. So I'm hoping over the next 45 minutes or so we'll get some useful tips, answer some of your burning questions and if it's something you've perhaps considered doing, hopefully it might give you the confidence to try it. Joining us later on in the show I'll be speaking to Lincolnshire farmer Paul Davey who has turned 400 hectares of arable land no-till across a wide range of soil types. He'll be sharing his story with you and some words of wisdom as well. But first up, we've got Philip Wright. For those of you who don't know him, he's an independent consultant in soil health and cultivations and he's helped a lot of farmers in their transition to no-till farming. Thanks very much for joining us, Philip. So I'm sure sun systems will be very suited to a no-till setup. But in other cases, there's quite a strong debate going on about whether certain soil types could go that way. What's your view on that? I, I think very much um, soil types uh, do come into this, uh, not necessarily to, to 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 make you decide that you can't direct drill or mintill, but just to be aware that some soils are more challenging than others and may well take longer um, for you to get to where you want to be to to, to, to do an effective job and I, I think to be aware of that is is just a big help because it starts to put stuff in context really so if, if I sort of start by uh, really going back to the 1970s and, and middle late 70s there was a lot of work done at that time uh, looking at direct drilling and I, I do appreciate that things have moved on since then but principles don't really change and 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 they basically did a lot of work it was it was government sponsored work through ADAS when they were independent uh, advisors and they uh, they used all of their experimental husbandry farms around the country and supplemented them with a lot more and and did a big project looking at the um, the, the capability for soils in the UK to be autumn or spring sown either direct drilling or conventionally uh, with with cereals and looking at yield differences they didn't take it to margin which is highly relevant also but they did look at yield difference and whilst I don't believe we should take this as the, the holy grail let's say I think it's very useful though to, to just consider what they found because quite honestly I find that regularly now with my clients you know, some fields probably will behave much more differently and will convert to zero till very much easy, much more easily than others and um, that is down to a number of things one is soil type um, and another one which is highly relevant is the region and the amount of rainfall and what you're expecting to um, to actually establish 
spring or autumn sown, for example. Uh, clearly, if you've got wetter conditions on average, then it's more challenging because we're relying on the soil and nature to structure and, uh, and fix stuff as opposed to putting metal in the ground. So that's really where this comes from. Uh, and, and in a nutshell, and, and it's worth looking at, I've got a, there's a whole range of soil types that uh, that are very readily suited. I think it's easier because there are fewer just to point out the ones that aren't um, or that they're less suited. They will just take you longer. They'll be a bit more challenging. And, and those would be soils that are, are non-calcareous because they, 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 they tend not to self-structure quite as well. Um, they may well be a high, high uh, clay content. They're highly likely to have a within that a, probably a high silt content because they can run together naturally. And other um, soils would be sandier soils that are uh, a non-humic soils, so they're, they're, they're low in organic matter, basically. Um, and if you've got fields that are predominantly one or other of those, then they will take longer um, to convert because basically they, they don't self-structure as well. Yeah, and I guess this season in particular has really highlighted um, soil drainage capabilities. How have your farmers fared in it all? Because I've seen quite a few reports, some of they managed to drill all their winter crops, no problem. Others, they're saying it might be taking a lot longer to dry out because they've got things like chopped straw. Yeah, I, I, I think um, if you've been into a, into a reduced till, zero till drill system for a for a little while and the and the soil has has has, has developed good you know a, a good activity then in in the main those have been quite resilient and quite okay depends a little bit on soil type we we discussed for a start um that's got a factor there um as well but um yeah it, it's uh some and some really um i think the uh the presence of surface residue uh, a lot of surface residue not particularly well chopped and spread in, in not heaps but you know in, in concentrations let's say uh, realistic concentrations rather than big heaps um, it's going to be wet under them you know, it's going to be damp wet under them and, and that could limit uh, the ability to drill that field under those patches um, again it comes back to maybe one of those first things we talked about being residue management you know, it, that's got to be consistent and even uh, in that respect so um, normally you can you can find a reason for it uh, if, if there are issues but by and large if, if soil hasn't been extensively moved or loosened it, it, it will take the water through it better if it's in good structural condition you'll take the water through it efficiently and better or warm up pretty well um, in, in, in normal situations but it does depend a little bit on your soil type of course as well yeah I mean a lot of people say it's not just about changing your system but changing your mindset as well so I guess it's also depending on when you knowing when to go and when is actually the best time to go not when you want to go yeah yeah and, and the, the it, it is down to to uh, all of those factors we talked about are essential, particularly structure and drainage. But the other essential one is the is the is the the willingness and eagerness of of the farm 
uh, staff to make it work. Um, you need people on board to make it work. Generally, then it will do in the end. Um, and and yes, it, it, it's very true that um, different situations can cause problems, but normally you can you can get round them, you can get over them. Um, I think the uh, yeah the willingness of people to make it work is massively important. Whenever I see it working really well, then guys are out there looking, checking. Um, patience is always a, a factor at, uh, with a difficult situation we've had and, and difficult season we've had. The beauty of zero till direct drilling is you've only got to drill, you haven't got to do anything else. So you can afford to wait uh, a bit longer. You've probably got to, but you can afford to do that. Um, I think then it's a question of, of choosing the kit so you've got enough output when you need to go. Um, and, then, and that then sort of instills, if you like, its own bit of self-confidence that you can make it work. Uh, talking to a number of growers that have moved down this track on less than simple soil to be able to do it on, a lot of them would say, well, I'll probably put a cover or a catch crop in if I'm delaying drilling in a in, in a normal situation, maybe for grass weed control. Um, they'll, they'll probably put a, a catch crop in uh, because it, it just basically draws some moisture out and, and gives them a bit more confidence that they can delay that a little bit longer. Um, clearly you've got to manage the you've got to manage the canopy you've got to manage everything and, and that comes with experience um, but uh, yeah uh, overall it's um, I think because you've only got to drill it, 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 it does make things somewhat simpler although it's easy for me to sit here and tell you that when when the heavens are you know have been giving up what they've been giving up in terms of rainfall it, yeah so you know you've been forgiven for thinking it's never going to end and I, I, but you don't need that long uh, provided um, again residue management is right and soils, the soils had some roots growing through it basically okay and I suppose the best way to know if your your farm is suited to this system would be to try it so if a grower's thinking about going no-till um, where would you suggest that they start with would they start in one field, start with trials, and um, where would they go to get the right kind of advice? They're good questions. Um, I think the experience of the of the grower for a start, if he, if he has got um, variable soil types, it would be highly relevant to choose representative fields so that you can get a picture. Um, you know, and then immediately he's, he's going to get a good idea and feel for. Which, which fields are, are pretty straightforward and which may be a little bit more challenging. Um, I think where to start from, if we go back to absolute basics, um, drainage for farming is fundamental. Um, so if fields are not particularly well drained or uh, they're not self-draining, so they, they've got drainage schemes in which are um, let's say need maintenance or aren't particularly well maintained this will be more challenging again significantly than if it feels so well drained or, or, or naturally self-draining um, so again choose, choose
choose a, a range of those if you've got them um, because it would be very disappointing if you judge the whole um, transition or potential for it on the basis of a, a narrow choice of fields. Uh, use other people's experience in the area for sure. Um, talk to contractors that do this sort of thing. They'll uh, they're, they're normally pretty good at contractors. They, they uh, you know if, if you you've got somebody that's well experienced in direct drilling and you say well can you come and direct drill this field for me and it's not in a particularly good state um, in addition to drainage another one will be to start start with a field in good structural condition as well because at, at the end of the day we are relying on nature to do this so if you start by challenging nature a lot more with a with a poorly structured field it'll take longer to get there um, all of these sort of things add up to the lags that people have talked about um, whilst I accept that there can be a lag just with the, the biological processes that are kicking in and are, and are starting to work a lot better to my mind we want to minimize these lags um, don't accept them um, really uh, try and do something to, to minimize them if possible uh, it may be an example there would be a, a turning headland or an area in the field that it had I don't know compost manure or something stored on it um, and and maybe um, spreaders have been loaded there or, or, or whatever straw had been stored you know those sort of areas are going to take longer it may be that you decide to to do something to remediate them for a start and start you know from a better position than um, than um, you know trying to get nature to do everything uh, it, it, it probably is more more relevant to spend a bit of money on on, uh, on some restructuring there uh, and it may be that you've got to keep that uh, operation long term if you if you do remove straw or whatever um, or you you know you do you, you, you undertake other operations that need um, or that, in, that impose a bit of, of compaction then it, it may be you want to keep something just to remove that in areas where it's relevant um, it just it just gives a quicker, easier, more efficient bottom line, uh, better for the bottom line of transition, really. Okay. And how long would a, could a grower expect that transition transition to take, or is it more of a farm by farm basis? Hard to put. Yeah, out? yeah totally. And and I I think if they're prepared, if if the grower's prepared to look at fields field by field area by area almost within fields and, and and decides that yeah we can do something to remediate some of those problems then the lag will be quicker um how how much biological activity is already present in the soil now um naturally some soils have got more than others uh so from that point of view um this will again determine really how long it takes rather than a you know there's there's nothing there's nothing prescriptive here. It's 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 a question of, of, of learning it as as you come to it, really. Yeah. And obviously, you've spoken a lot about yield lag. Is there anything else that growers can expect? I know that a lot of people report problems with slugs. Um, are there any other kind of downsides to the system? Um, I think I think. Uh... I think depending on how residues are managed, there's a good starting point. You know, are they going to be removed or are they going to be incorporated? 
uh, if they're going to be removed, um, are you going to put back um, FYM for straw, for example, removed? Because um, that can be a big help to get bi biological activity kicked on. Uh, or if you're going to leave the straw in situ, how is that straw going to be managed? Is it going to be left uh, very long stubble? Is it going to be left completely standing? Is it going to be chopped and spread finely? Um, residue management is a huge factor here that um, you need consistency of residue management across the field to give you a consistent result. So that's something that's very important. I think um, if we consider the sort of main pillars, if you like, of, of conservation agriculture, which are hugely relevant, um, residue management would be one. I, I think um, growing crops, growing roots in the soil at all times. I, I think you've got to be you've got to be prepared to consider um, growing cover crops, for example, uh, at the end of the day, particularly um, to help to, to to create lots of, of cycles of wet and dry as as a season progresses and a, a wetting and drying cycling action will self help self-structure soils that are less readily self-structural uh, clay clay based soils for example if there's any form drinking and swelling going on and you can draw moisture with growing something at all times you will you will give yourself a much better chance of creating natural tilt so I, th I think you've got to be prepared to grow cover crops I, I would suggest that it won't work if you don't um, would be more difficult if you don't um, I think that's very important I think that another one that's hugely significant would be how you manage um, compaction and trafficking uh, I think you've got to be prepared to control where you drive particularly we're not doing as much trafficking now we're not uh, we're not going to be cultivating so it, it, it's easily it's more easily done but um, controlling where you drive controlling traffic uh, naturally allows uh, a transition to direct drilling much quicker. Uh, controlling your pressures so that uh, we've only got the drill tractor and harvesting um, ostensibly to worry about, rolling perhaps, whatever. Um, controlling pressures at the same time, minimising pressures um, gives all of this lot, gives a chance for the soil to recover quicker from uh, any of those operations and therefore be less uh, detrimental to yield. So I, I, I think um, control traffic, control pressure, ma massively important. And, and I, I think for me, the, the most important thing will be to, prag to be pragmatic about it. Um, I don't think, I don't believe we can be prescriptive in farming. If, if something needs doing, we we ought to do it to, to, to solve a problem. Um, you can wait for a long time for nature to, to fix stuff but if you're prepared to help nature along I believe you'll get there quicker and, and ultimately it will take less time and, and, and reduce this, this this dip of yield let's call it that um, it, it won't, it'll mitigate it it won't necessarily sort it because biology's got to work kicking but uh, I think we can do an awful lot to um, to reduce those those issues uh, and these and these the, dips in yields that you speak about how how long do they tend to last it depends entirely on the soil type on the cropping okay. um, some some 
on there really I've, I've got a, a few clients on 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 reasonably appropriate soil going into it and um you know it, it is their aim and aspiration to maintain their yield or improve it, it, it they're not looking to for it to drop so um you know uh, I, I i think it does depend really on on the type of biological activity you've got already you know um and, and that that depends what's happened in the past by and large and what about things like keeping old kit because obviously if you've got the kit in the shed it means that if you are desperate you can use it it offers some kind of flexibility or do you think it's best just to remove all temptation and stick with one piece of kit i I think the answer depends again on the type of soils you're on if you've got variable soils some of which are more going to be take you a little bit longer to get there I, i i i believe that um you want to be pragmatic about this uh I, I, I think it's um, it's nice to say, oh, we'll get rid of everything. Um, if you've got a, I, I, I think the best is for me to give you an example. If if, uh, if for example you've got some fields that are that are probably coming out of a um, history of, of probably not being uh, particularly well um, structured. I'm you know I'm thinking after after root crops or something like that. If you one of my growers used to grow a lot of sugar beet and gave up growing sugar beet and some of those fields you can still see the headland effect now even though he's been zero till for a number of years you can still see that effect on those fields on the headlands um, and examples there if, if, if you've got for example a, a low disturbance soil loosening machine I, th- I think it would be very um, I, I, I would be very comfortable if if my clients kept a, um, a sward lifter, a low disturbance loosening type machine anyway. Um, not necessarily if they've got self-structuring calcareous soils, I think probably that won't be likely necessary. But if you've got uh, some soils that are more slumping prone, like we talked about, you know, high silt content, particularly high silt content soils, um, then keeping a, a, a structuring operation in there in, in the in, it, it, it's highly likely you can you, you can target that just in the areas you need uh, the crop will tell you where that is um, the cost of doing that uh, it, it clearly we don't need to be very deep and I, I think um, you know I'm not for a minute suggesting a deep subsoil here I'm talking about a, a relatively shallow sward lifter that's not going to cost an awful lot to run and it may be use a contractor for that uh, that's the other option, isn't it? Uh, but that that type of operation, um, normally, if it's needed, it'll pay back within that one crop in terms of yield benefit on the areas you need to use it. You know, turning headlands, bits in the field where where, where you've had problems or something like that. So uh, I I think um, it may be you've got to sell a reasonable amount of the kit. Um, and or it may be that the large prime mover tractor isn't needed anymore as such because we're going to be we're going to be dragging a you know a, a zero till drill that, that that probably doesn't need such high horsepower. So almost this might force force the hand. You know, there's, there's pointless having loads of kit if you haven't got the tractor left that can pull them. Uh, but uh, equally, I, I think appropriate kit, such as the example I've given you, can be 
can be quite can be quite useful to keep hold of. Um, I've seen that work quite well. I've got a lot of clients and growers that go to that will have something like that stood by. They won't plan to use it, but if they need to, it's there, and they do get payback on it straight away. So um, you know, it, it, I can't see that as anything but good farming, really, personally. And then in terms of um, other tools available to farmers, in particular herbicides, glyphosate is obviously a very key one, particularly for no-till farmers for things like cover crop destruction and weed control. What options are there if we were to lose glyphosate? It's a good question. I, I, I firmly believe and hope, trust that if the authorities are, are encouraging us and the to go down a, a route of reduced or, or, or less or zero tillage, then um, there needs to be a derogation for um, the ability to, to take out um, problematical weeds and, and manage um, manage cover crops, certainly, um, in, a, in a, a sensible way. Um, I can completely understand um, pre-harvest uh, as, as a ripening agent. That will probably not be there, but... Um, or definitely won't be there, but I, I, I would suggest that uh, if they're thinking in a joined-up manner, there's going to have to be derogations for, for the ability to use um, chemicals like that just to be able to make this work most efficiently. Um, it's almost a contradiction of terms if you don't. Yeah, okay. And then IPM's become quite a hot topic recently, what with the loss of neonics and other insecticides like that um i know the allerton project did some quite interesting um trials on um beneficial insects and the impact no-till had on that have you seen similar in your at your farms where flea beetle for example is perhaps much less in no-till crops or perhaps even worse maybe i i I think uh, once you get nature working well, well, I think there are a lot of benefits to be had, to be honest. Um, and certainly um, the ability for residues to be taken into the soil through with earthworms massively increases. Uh, very efficient. The, the natural structure improves. Um, you've got a lot more um, porosity, um, permanent porosity in there. You, you've you've got you know permanent channels in there that's helping to 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 transmit moisture down through and roots down through and everything else. So all of those are, are, are positive. I, I, slugs are a, a, a challenge, um, particularly and depending on where the residues are and in the earlier years until you know your, your, your natural processes start to really move the. Um, draw the, the residues in um, some people would choose to leave very long stubbles um, even you strip headers to to, to, to to leave everything clear of the ground and that can um, that can be a benefit to certain other pests you know in terms of uh, pigeons even you know if you've got a lot of, of, of standing stubble there or standing crop there they don't particularly like to, to land in those sort of areas so that can be a, you know a, a positive thing so Whilst there are, you know, some downsides, there are an awful lot of upsides, um, and uh, not the least of which is, is, you know, you, you, you get a more resilient structure um, 
a stronger structure. It, it possibly feels when you dig it that it might feel a little bit tougher. Um, but if that's got a lot of porosity in it, it's got then structural strength to support equipment. Then you know, some of the things I was talking about before about controlling pressure and controlling traffic wherever you drive become less vital. I, th- I still think they're important, but they become less vital as the soil develops that real resilience. So um, you do tend to go through a, a transition of, of things that were originally quite important and some become more important. Um, I could give you a good example of, um, of integrating cover crops into into this process where um, a few clients of mine now actually um, use the cover crop established after, after autumn harvest. Um, they'll use that to show them where problems are in the field potentially um, and and if necessary certain areas they'll they'll probably remediate compaction for example while the cover crops growing um, just in the areas it's telling you it's got a problem not everywhere and that, that I, f- I feel is quite useful because it minimizes those sort of actions but immediately you've done something to correct the problem the roots of the covers growing will get down and, and stabilise that and actually exploit it. So very much a win-win situation, that one. And I guess that kind of ties in with, you know, public goods and things like that. Are you expecting to see any kind of financial support for growers that want to transition to no-till? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm probably going to... I'm probably going to butt out of, of predicting what might happen there, but um, <laughs> I, I would hope so. I, yeah. I, I would, I would, I would trust that um, if again the thought processes behind all of this are joined together, then yeah, that that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. So for growers that maybe aren't just growing cereals, they've got potatoes or veg crops, and they want to go no-till, but obviously it might not be the best system for some of their crops is there a way that they can dip in and out uh, I'm, I'm again going to give you a pragmatic answer here rather than necessarily a purist one but i believe there is yes i i, I would take the opportunity to do as little as possible if it presents itself um two years ago the season then the really dry season we had the dry autumn allowed us to do as a lot of natural structuring was done for us by nature on, on certainly any soil with a, a reasonable shrinking and sweat clay content. So uh, in, in that situation, it, opportunity presents itself and, and I think it can do to growers um, who possibly have got crops in the rotation that, that would require you know, tillage, uh, as you say. I mean, it, it is theoretically possible and, and, and I know one or two people that would, I know a number of people that would would, uh, would do zero or minimum till for, for sugar beet, not uh, I know one guy that does zero till for sugar beet predominantly um, potatoes possibly a little bit more um, challenging and all of this by definition often is down to the harvest damage I think um, but again um, targeted Structuring, very carefully done, uh, with with basically in the back of your mind, you're expecting roots to fix the soil. That's really what fixes any problem in soil is nature and roots. But 
but if you if you was part of that can target specific operations to help those routes to to best exploit the sort of profile then i believe that's good farming and, and so you know those sort of growers that have got a, a very broad range of, 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 of crops that possibly would result in more damage or, or whatever or or require um tillage for other reasons you know uh coping with build-up of residual herbicide chemistry stuff like that although soil biology does really a lot to help you there in the end um, but yeah I, I i think they can and, and i think the the tip would be or the trick would be to if there's an opportunity there to do less or to do very little or nothing take it it, it will do the soil good if you can achieve it and if you can achieve it and get that crop growing a good root system uh, as the old sort of as the old sort of um, experience would suggest you know one good crop with a big root system will probably follow be followed by another one uh, because soil is in better condition and it's a it's a sort of overall win-win situation so that that's something that yeah I, I I think I would I would be advising everyone if, if you've got a chance to do it do it take that opportunity. Next up we've got mixed farmer Paul Davy from North Lincolnshire he's got land from Market Raisin all the way up to the River Humber and he's on a variety of very different soil types over the last five years he's farmed all five farms or 440 hectares of arable land under a no-till system. He's growing herbage seed, linseed, vining peas, beans, wheat and spring barley. So what was it that motivated you to look at changing your system in the first place? Uh, we've been, we've been farming, uh, well, I've, I've been back farming since 1992 um, and we'd always got the, I'd got the feeling over, over that time that we'd really reached the, 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 the heady levels of, 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 our, of our sort of yield aspirations sometime around the, the late 80s, early, early 90s. Um, we're going from a, a history on our farm of where there was a mixed farm, there, there was cattle and sheep back in the 60s. Um, and we moved into a, a sort of product, uh, a highly uh, uh, sort of intensive operation, which was potatoes and onions, which uh, led to a lot of cultivation. We'd be sometimes separating uh, separating uh, soil uh, clod and stone for uh, two, yeah, two for two crops in a six-year rotation. So um, yeah, we just feel we've got finding out what it, the missing element, which was of course carbon. Uh, we kind of burned out our uh, our organic matter from the from the from the fifties and sixties, and uh, maybe just needed a change. And you're farming over quite a variety of soil types, aren't you? How how have you found that in the transition? Um, they've all been treated a little bit the same, but I suppose the transition uh, came about through looking at things um, more uh, along the lines of um, using yield maps, getting soil. Uh, we, we had soil conductivity tested. Uh, we were using variable rates fertilizers so basically gps sampling soil so quite a lot of information about the, the soil although very little information about should we say organic matter levels which we probably spent a bit more time 
concentrating on now. Um, but they, to, to look at all the different soil types, sort of um, Birmingham 2s, Bishampton 1s, Swaff and Priors, Hunstanton, Wick 1, uh, Holderness, Wallacey 1, um, they're all sort of uh, very different indeed. You're ranging from sort of um, permeable subsoils to almost uh, deep clay soils, um, which, of course, they're, they're, they all respond differently in different seasons, but that's the slightly averaging effect of, of farming different soil types as well. Uh, you, you never have one that's, uh, that, that's, that's a complete washout, apart from perhaps last autumn. Since you've made the transition, what benefits have you seen from this kind of agronomically economically for you personally as well maybe you've got a bit more free time if that's a thing for farmers um, free time is always something that you fill your time doing something else with. <laughs> exactly <laughs> but I, I, I think the single biggest uh, change that I've noticed is, is, is in soil structure and that's something that um, Philip Wright has come and done a bit of work with me in the last year or so mm. and, and it's something that he really focuses on and it's, a, it's an aspect that we often don't make enough noise about in, uh, in zero till but we make a lot of noise about the, 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 the biological benefits uh, but it's trying to understand um, how soil aggregates um, and how those sort of stable aggregates within the soil um, are created and also and also retained and uh, Philip uh, Philip talks about that to a great extent and it's, a, it's an area that's been particular interest to me um, and what that's resulted in is predominantly um, our, our farm was was dry last autumn um, we feel that infiltration rates have increased enormously um, which are also hoping this spring will lead to uh, better ret- uh, moisture retention rates as well. Yeah. And how are things looking um, this spring on the farm for you? Um, we have had a, what I would call a, a, an autumn where we've probably pushed my, the drill harder uh, and beyond its abilities and and, uh, and and in places it's still uh, provided us with, with uh, a crop, some autumn crop to work with. In other places, particularly low-lying areas where rooting was poor, um, we did we did lose crop, but we've I've since been back in and patched those areas up um, because the, the the farm on the whole has been able to be travelled through through um, through sort of early spring and uh, and late winter. Um, it's it's still it's still been easy enough to travel with with our, with our equipment and and go and find all those places that we didn't like the look of and go and do something about it really and things like um improvements to crop health i think you mentioned that um you haven't had to use insecticides for a while things like bydv has been much better for you i, th- I, th- I think we've just made a conscious decision to try and work with with our, with the crop rotation and 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 try and bring uh, try and help develop more more beneficials. Um, so 
maybe there's a you know, making a decision to grow varieties that uh, are orange blossom mid resistant, uh, so we can avoid an insecticide there. Um, there is a, there is a feeling that it's a bit like playing Russian roulette with uh, aphid populations in the autumn. Um, but I think as time goes along, um, there's, there's some good news stories amongst a group of people at base where we discuss ideas about um, about BYDV and how uh, an improvement in plant, in general plant health from improving soil health um, allows plants to use their natural resistance to, to withstand uh, either either pest in grass or disease in grass and grow and grow through it uh, but there's certainly some more to be learned there yeah yeah because yeah, I think you said earlier there's a lot of plant health coming out of soil health which I quite I liked that yeah there's a, I think there's a, the, 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 it's not a perfectly linear relationship but I, um, certainly something that we've, we've seen as, as we've moved into progressive and successive years uh, under the under the system, plant health seems to be something that we're able to manage um, more simply. Yeah, and what about challenges? What were your biggest challenges, and how have you either overcome them or just accepted them? I think the biggest challenges in the first couple of years of zero till is 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 again comes down to soil ag- aggregation. Either you've either got too much moisture um, uh, which doesn't particularly suit the system because we end up in with, with anaerobic conditions which can occur um, and and also how to manage the pests associated from previous farming systems which will stay in the soil for some time I, I think water and slopes um, we'd be lying if we didn't say that they do provide <laughs> us with some headaches yeah time. Um, I, I, I do, I do think that uh, that's not easily manageable, um, and some of the transition has has been through using um, I, either le- the likes of low disturbance subsoiler in places, um, which which complements the system quite well, but again, it's fairly low draft, doesn't have a high horsepower requirement particularly, and you're not looking to. Uh, take out any deep compaction particularly you're just trying to give the soil time to build these these, these stable aggregates um, through through plant rooting and the, and the, and the relationships between the, the root exudates and, uh, and, 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 the, and the soil aggregates really to, to help you in time get to a point where you're really just using your drill and keeping the keeping the soil covered with with, with some plant growth all year round, really. Yeah. And did you suffer with things like yield lags? Yeah, I think very much so. On uh, Maybe we were trying to push things a little bit too... far too fast. I, I know on one farm, I was very enthusiastic of the, where I'd taken it over and tried to move on from a... Uh, it had been in a plow, power, a combination drill... Um, combinable rotation for the previous 25 years really and, um, and we moved it into into shallow cultivations and uh, we find we found that it was 
it was it, it was it was a, a farm which seemed to respond to its, its previous uh, previous system, okay. moving it into a into kind of a a, a different rotation, moving it. Uh, it was maybe just a little bit too fast, I would say. It was uh, three years of, of shallow cultivations, and then we went into zero till after that. Um, we're slowly, yeah, it's taken, so we're in the third season there with that now, and uh, we can see soils becoming slightly more friable, which they weren't in the first couple of years of zero till, really. So, yeah, there are there are, there are are some, um, some difficulties, um, but then you don't learn anything if you don't push things sometimes. Exactly. And obviously, when it comes to no-till, improving soil health and crop health and things like that are very important but when it comes down to it the most important thing is going to be numbers so what about things like financial savings i think what we've seen over time is that those 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 have changed slightly what we've in in the first instance there's there's the investment in the machinery which um isn't a, a small investment but the the resource management from a point of view of using less um, finite resources like fuel um, become is, is very welcome. It doesn't tend to offset the um, what we'd call kind of the yield, what I felt was a bit of a yield dip in the first couple of years. Um, but again, it was, it was very welcome um, because as time went along, uh, it was clear that there were some other inputs um, savings to be made, particularly from the point of view of growing growing crop inputs, um, which slowly but surely just helps to increase the, the the margin on on that style of on that style of production, and and particularly if you're in a situation where you're doing a lot of that work yourself. Um, Clawing some of that margin back for yourself does start to make a real difference to your life. So if you could offer our listeners one piece of advice that you wish you'd known before you'd started, what would it be? Well, I I wish I'd known all of the really pioneering people that I've met over the last few years of doing this. (laughs) That would have been been really helpful. Um, And and, and I I wish, in some respects, I'd, I'd, I'd read more. Some of the books that I've read since I've started doing this have been uh, have been great I mean Gabe Brown's sort of Dead Dead is is a great is a great book um, get on, um, and, and similarly even some of the technical papers um, that trying to look at different associations uh, learning more about bacterial relationships between different plant species and rotations is is an area of particular interest to me but I think one of the most obvious things that had been overlooked was uh, pointed out to me by Philip Wright again um, was, uh, was was a paper called The Suitability of Soils for Sequential Direct Drilling of Combine Harvested Crops in Britain, um, which was done in 1979, and uh, it basically gave a key to soil associations as to which, uh, which soils in the UK were suitable for direct drilling. And... And so much of this work has been done historically, a bit like there's nothing new in the world. Uh, it's just how we apply it. Um, and there's uh, 
an online research that can be done to to bring people along with uh, if they're looking for a, a change in direction as to how they manage their uh, their, 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 their cropping systems. Thanks, Paul. There you go. That was Lincolnshire farmer Paul Davy and cultivations expert Philip Wright. And I'm sure if you were interested in finding out more, Philip would be the guy to speak to. Of course, we've also got the Soil Hub at PropTech this year, sponsored by Horsch. So make sure you come along to that. So hopefully you found today's episode thought-provoking at the very least. And if you've got any feedback, I would love to hear it. So tweet me at Alison Wellies. And for our next episode, we're going to be looking at the fight against resistant weeds with a number of experts joining me from Rothamsted Research and NIAB. So if you, like many farmers, are struggling to control a particularly tricky strain of grassweed, for example, we're going to discuss things like new non-chemical control methods, variability in blackgrass herbicide susceptibility, sustainable weed control options and much more so i look forward to you joining me next time take care